You're listening to a sermon from the Open Door Lafayette. If by God's grace you find these sermons encourage your walk with and your love of Jesus, would you please consider giving to the Open Door? You can learn more about us, next steps, as well as how to give at theopendoorla.org. Well, good morning. Can y'all hear me? Is it on? All right, well, as long as it's working, they can fix that in the back, huh? Well, uh, excited to be able to, to share with you this morning. Um, look around, get the lay of the land. Usually get to check everyone out before this point, but uh, good morning. All right, glad you're all here and excited just to be able to talk with you for a little bit. Uh, the title of my message this morning is An Invitation to the table of the Lord, an invitation to the table of the Lord. So some of you probably have some thoughts about what that means. There's a a doctrinal or theological concept of the table of the Lord. Just put that aside for a second, just for a second. You can come back to it. We're just going to talk about the table just to kind of set the scene. If I invite you to come to my kitchen table, you're not thinking about nothing holy. What you thinking about? Let's go get something to eat, huh? I mean, if I want to catch up with somebody that I haven't seen in a long time, I say, hey, why don't we grab lunch? Or if my wife and I want to spend time with another couple, why don't y'all come over for dinner? Let's go on a double date. All right. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the meal, the table, sharing a meal together is a place where uh, we, we come together in, in fellowship. We come together as community. Uh, we invite people from, from outside our families and our circles to get to know them. So it's a place of, of community, of adoption, of fellowship. It's where the, all these good things take place. Um, you invite somebody to dinner at your house, you're inviting them in to, to be a part of your family and share a meal with you. Uh, it's where we, we talk about things. We have dinner at the dinner table a few nights a week at our house, and uh, you know we, we talk about the highs and lows of our days. Uh, we talk about the good or bad grade we got on a test or the hard thing that we dealt with at work. Uh, sometimes we leave the table mad at each other. Or, I mean, it's just a place where we are real, and I think we're having some problems. It's my beard. I'm sorry, the beard's going to come before the microphone. You want me to use that instead? All right. Thanks, Kanan. So, yeah, we even have hard conversations at our tables, right? There's a, there's a counseling firm in town called Kitchen Table Counseling. It's, I mean, there's some intimacy that goes on when we share a table together, right? We, we call it breaking bread. But what we're going to see today is that it's usually more about the breaking than the bread, 
You know, the, we're not just doing it because of what we want to eat. We're not, we're not gathering together because we want to get this particular food. We're gathering together and we're sharing so that we can fellowship. And, and, and the breaking is the, the inviting in and the sharing together. So in the same way that we gather as earthly friends and family at our tables, we gather as spiritual family at God's table. So today we're going to look at God's table in three different presentations. Uh, In her book, Nancy Piercy's book, Total Truth, she talks about how a framework for looking at all of life, whether we're talking about education or politics or government or society or family, everything that we look at in our life can be viewed through this framework of creation, fall, and restoration. And how God created us to be in fellowship with him. He created it, said it was good. And then we know there was this event, this fall that happened. And then we look ahead and we know that there's there's a time coming where all things are going to be put right again. Things are going to be made new. There's going to be a time of restoration. So if you look at your Bible, the creation is just the first couple of pages. The restoration is just the last couple of pages. And everything in between is fall. And within that, there's obviously some other categories you can look at. You can look at the old covenant and the new covenant. But for the sake of today's message, we're going to look at these tables as God presented at the time of creation, how he presents it in the fall, and how he's going to present it at the time of restoration. So first, we're going to look at creation and God's table that he presented at the time of creation, which was a a table of fellowship with God. So you want to get your Bibles out? Bibles, phones, tablets, highlighters, pens, pencils, those little cool Bible highlighters that don't bleed through the page or whatever it is that you have. And I'm going to uh, I know Gary just said, but I'm going to go ahead and pray again before we, before we start reading. Father, we invite you today, Lord, to come and have your way with our hearts. Father, as we read your word, God, as we talk about uh, these concepts and topics, Father, you inviting us to partake at your table, God. We ask that you would just open up the truth of what it is that you want us to hear. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name. All right, Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and then I'm going to jump down to verses 15 through 17. And it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, how many gardeners we have in here? Got any gardeners? Any people like to work in flower beds or vegetable gardens? How many of you have done that before in July? In South Louisiana. Even June some years, August, September. I'm going to prophesy to your soul. You ready? 
Listen to this. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. They didn't even have to water. How about that? And from there it parted and became four riverheads. And we jump down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So we obviously don't see a physical table here. But we see that God invites them to a place of provision. We see that God is is giving them what they need for sustenance and to survive. We see that he provided them food and he invited them to partake of it. Then we also see that in that place he taught them about right or wrong. He gave them instruction. He said, you can eat from this tree, but don't eat from that tree. So the presentation of the table and the provision from the father was also where some instruction was taking place. In verses 10 through 14, he talked about how the river watered the garden and how the, the, the water was a resource of the land that they could trust in, that they could use for their benefit. And he teaches about geography and how the, the river split into divided the land into these four different areas. And uh, so in addition to provision and instruction, we see him providing education in economics in geography. In verses 15 through 17, he goes even deeper and he gives them a theological instruction. He had already told them, don't eat from this tree, but eat from that one. And then he says, why? Because if you do, you will surely die. So at first he was addressing actions. Now he's addressing the heart and intention and motive. Let's read a little bit more. Let's read verses 18 through 25. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, into every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Thank you, Lord, for not stopping at the animals. Amen? <laughs> and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And you know what the man said? Whoa, man. Right? And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So now we see God giving Adam work to do in naming the animals. He gives him vocation and purpose, which, which men need and desire. Then he teaches Adam about marriage, about finding a spouse, about leaving and cleaving. So at God's table, where he invited them to provide for them, they also received 
instruction, economics, education, academics, theology and doctrine, work ethic and responsibility, marriage and family. So fathers, if you ever wonder what you should talk to your kids about at your kitchen table, here's a good little snapshot. It's the things that we experience all of Christ and all of life. His word applies to everything that we do and everything that we need. And so at this this first table that we see God invited man to, he provided everything. It was open. It was face-to-face. There was no restrictions. There was no, you know, that we see, we'll see in a bit, the scripture says that we see through a glass dimly now. In this, this time of the fall, we know in part, we prophesy in part, the scripture says, but, but then it was face to face. And whenever we get past this long stretch into the, to the end time of restoration, it'll be face to face again. But in the meantime, we're left in this place of seeking. And so we're going to talk about the presentation of God's table during the fall, which is a table of seeking the Lord. And to to talk about this, we're going to use the illustration of the table of shewbread or showbread, depending on which version of the Bible you're reading. This was a, a temporary table of foresight that pointed to Christ. He wasn't here yet. You know, we have an advantage, right? Because we look back and we see what all those things pointed to. They didn't see it yet. They just knew that God told them to kill all these animals and build all this stuff and do it through this certain way. And, and they had the, the, the expectation or they were, they were the commission to respond in faith just like we are. Because really, we don't see it either. We're taking it by faith also. But we have the history and we have the witness to look to. Now, I'm not going to go into the passages because it would, we don't have time to today. But just for your reference, if you're taking notes, you can read about the table of showbread and the process of the, the bread offerings in Exodus chapter 25, verses 23 through 30, and Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9. You know, Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah 29, he says, And in that day they will seek me and find me. But this was not the case yet. This is the time of the fall. This is the time of separation from God. And now we know that Christ, Hebrews tells us that that, uh, although God revealed himself through prophets and through the law in old times, now he's revealed himself through his son. And Colossians tells us that he is the bodily form of God. We see who God is through Christ, but it's still in part. We see the truth. We can bear witness. We have this hope, like we talked about last time, that God deposits inside of us, this faith that he gives us to where we know, but we still see in part, right? We we don't, it's not the sweet by and by yet, is it? Is everything perfect yet? Are we at the banqueting table and everything's good and there's no more sorrow and no more tears and no more pain? We're not there yet. So one of the items in the tabernacle, really you could look at the whole presentation of the tabernacle 
and how it, 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 it represents Christ. It's all symbolic of Christ. And you can look at each individual article in the tabernacle, and it's representative of Christ and points to Christ. But we're going to specifically look at the table just because of, of what we're looking at today. And the priests were told uh, to, 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 to bake 12 loaves of bread, put them on the table of shoe bread, and every Sabbath they were to switch them out. They were, it was supposed to stay up there perpetually. <clears throat> so, you know, the other, the other items and articles that were in there were the altar, the menorah, the candlestick, the altar of incense, and all these things represented Christ. And we could spend a month of Sundays talking about how these things point to Christ. But we're just going to keep it very narrow because we've got other stuff to talk about today. I'm just going to use it as a little picture. To us, I mean, let me just ask you a question. How many of you have bought bread in the last week? Raise your hand. In the last two weeks, a lot of us have bought bread. How many of you have eaten bread in the last few weeks? How much did you think about everything that went into making that bread? If you did that, raise your hand. Oh, there's a couple people that thought about it. All right. Yeah, yeah, you guys thought to know about what goes into making bread. <laughs> there were slave driving over king cakes at the bakery. I can bear witness. I saw them. But for them, to bring bread had a lot more connotation than just grabbing it off the shelf, than just order, ordering a po' boy at, the, at, the, at a restaurant, right? I mean, they, to bring this bread, how did they get bread? I mean, maybe, maybe they traded for it in the market, but probably their bread started with planting some wheat in a field. I mean, that process alone it wasn't overnight, right? It took place over time. They had to tend it. I hate to break it to them, but the river's not there to water it anymore. They had to water it. They had to cultivate it. They had to tend it. Then they had to harvest it. Then they had to separate the wheat from the chaff. They had to thresh it. Then they had to grind the wheat. And like a mortar and pestle, it had to be ground into flour, right? Then they had to make the cakes. Then they had to put it in the oven. How many of us thought about all that when we ate bread last time? The bread had a lot more connotation to them than it does to us. <laughs> Don't eat some bread? <laughs> That's all I got to do? To them, donate my bread? You know how much work, how much time it took to make this bread? And so they did it in faith. They kept it on the altar 24 hours a day, which is, like I said, there's tons of symbolism here. It, it represents the perpetual uh, faithfulness of God that never fails us, never leaves us or forsakes us. And then after, on the next Sabbath, it was taken down 
and it could be broken and distributed, and the, the priests were able, were able to keep the bread. They were able to eat it. Wait, they get to keep the bread for free? Yeah, they got to keep the week old bread that had been sitting up there in the open, out in the open, on the altar for a week, and that was their food. And we have a benefit looking back because we know that just like that wheat, we know that, that Jesus said, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, in, in one sense, him coming to earth was like dying because he was leaving his eternal glory. He set aside his glory and came and embraced something that was much less and much more temporal than who and what he was before. And he had to grow. He was 33 years old when he died. His ministry began at 30. Spent 30 years growing, tending, caring. Then he had to be harvested and threshed. You ever seen a threshing board? I should have pulled a picture of one. It's a, it's a piece of wood, and they would take old chunks of metal and embed it up into the bottom. And they'd put it on the ground and tie it to the ox and even stand on it. And they'd, the ox would pull them, and it would just crush that wheat. And then they would, they would come with, like, pitchfork-type things and, and, and scoop it up and try to separate the wheat from the chaff. And if that threshing board wasn't enough... You know, he was, says that his body was unrecognizable, that he wasn't recognized as a man because he was ground. He was ground into, into flour. And then we know his, his at least that, that period of time for him was a furnace of affliction. So this, this the table that God invites us to represented by this table of showbread is we see things in part. We see, okay, I got to bring this bread and do this thing. And God is saying, keep looking, pay attention. Even though you don't see it, I'm working. Even though you don't feel it, I'm working. I'm doing something. It's this, it's this table that we experience in part. It, experience it now, but not yet. Part, partially now, but partially not yet. And praise God, it's temporary. There's a time coming where there's going to be restoration. And there's going to be another table presented at the time of restoration. It's going to be a table of celebration. So we have the table of fellowship with God. That's broken. We have a table of seeking God. And there's going to be a restoration where there's a table of celebration where we will see him face to face. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, and I'll start reading in verse 6. Buckle up. This is what's coming. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. This will be the end of the hard times and the beginning of eternal life with Christ. I'm sure that all the grand ideas that we have of what that may look like pale in comparison to the reality of what it'll be. So within the framework of creation and fall and restoration, we see these these tables, these invitations from God to experience him, to seek him out. So where are we as the church? Are we really stuck in the fall? I mean, are we, are we, is that all we get? I mean, is, 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 is only get to see dimly? There's another, another slide if you want to throw it up. That is one more. There we are. We kind of hover over. Some of both of those. We have one foot over here and one foot over here. This foot's called the flesh and this foot's called the spirit. Not really. I mean, but you know what I mean. We, 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 have, an, we have an existence. We live in, in, in both places. That's why... The scripture can say that we have been seated in heavenly places when I'm standing on the stage in Lafayette, Louisiana at the Open Door Church. But I have been, it's happened already, seated in heavenly places. We have an an existence in this kingdom of heaven that is here now kind of in mystery form in some kind of way. But we also have an existence in this world today. And there's a table there in this in-between place. God's inviting you to a table at this in-between place. And we're going to see it. I really don't like using these three little bullet points that rhyme. I feel like I'm a stereotypical kind of, but I'm doing it anyways because it's what worked. So we're going to look at the tables of invitation, participation, and application. You see what I'm talking about? It's, all the preachers do that. I don't want to do that, but it's what worked. We're going to look at the table of invitation, participation, and application. These are for you today. God the Father is is inviting you in. So the invitation to the table of the Lord. We're going to look at this in Matthew chapter 22. Even though we, we didn't get to take part walking in the cool of the day in Genesis, and we're not yet at the restoration of all things, even though we're in this time of fall, 
we are invited to a banquet. We, we are invited to experience it in some way, shape, or form. And here's a picture of it right here, starting in verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared the dinner. My oxen and the fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. And then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. We are the ones from the highways and byways. The ones out there who haven't come yet, Oh, that's them. We need to invite those outsiders to the high, from the highways and byways. You came from the highways and byways. The original guests were the children of Israel, whom killed the servants and rejected the servants. And so he's opened it up to the rest of the world, and you've been invited. That's the invitation to the table of the Lord. Once that happens, I mean, if, you've, if, if you're part of the family, if you've become a Christian and you've given your life to Christ, you've been born again, you're a new person, his Holy Spirit's in you, doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. The next step is to participate in the table of the Lord. You've, you, you've gotten the invitation, you've come to the banquet now there's a, a participation. And for better or worse, that's with God's people. That's with everybody else sitting in this room right now. And the way that we experience Christ, whose body rose from the grave and went up into heaven, but transferred to his people, the scripture says that we are his body. The people in this room and Christians everywhere make up the body of Christ on earth. So the way we participate in the table of the Lord during this season of where we're at, this in-between season between fall and restoration is in communion. And I don't mean the communion that we're going to do here later today. But let's, let's go ahead and read, and I'll explain. In Matthew chapter 26, Matthew chapter 26, and we'll start in verse 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, 
Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, you know, if you read on, it gets to verse 30, says they sang a hymn. We need to have more worship music during communion. Um, they're sharing a meal together. He's talking about what he's about to endure on the cross. He's telling his friends that he loves goodbye in a sense. He's talking about how one of his close friends is about to betray him. There's some intimacy going on at this table. He's sharing with them some deep things of the kingdom of God. And he was probably thinking, until that day when the kingdom's restored and they all sit together in a room with their little plastic cups and stale wafers. I don't think that's what he was talking about. What he was talking about is what it represents. What he was talking about is his people, his children, now that he was leaving the earth through the Holy Spirit, becoming his body and walking together as his body and as his family and as his children. I mean, as, as a family, if one of my kids is in a hard place, I want to move everything out of the way to go and help them right? I'm not just going to walk by and ignore them. If they are needing some, some, some instruction, as much as I don't want to stir up another uncomfortable argument, I'm going to love them enough to go and tell them. Communion, when we partake of it, represents, well, let's just look at it. I've got three things on here that communion is. Another three. I said I didn't want to do it, and I did it again. But we got three more. In communion, there's three things that happen. One, the most important, is remember what Christ did for us, his body and his blood. We remember, I mean, we, we do communion later, and you put that, it actually helps that it's stale, because you can imagine, imagine Christ being on the cross, having endured the previous 24 hours that he did. His mouth was probably dry and, and, and probably sour tasting and probably had blood and sweat. I mean, just, just sit there with that really awful piece of wafer in your mouth. And just, just remember, imagine what he was tasting and experiencing when he was hanging on that cross. And the, the juice, his blood. Gary said that, I was like, I've never heard him say anything about the life being in the blood when he's up here doing a welcome message. But he said that today. I mean, think about how Christ, the God of the universe, let me just tell you, Jesus, the one who we're talking about, is God of all creation. 
And he allowed his, his life, his blood to be poured out so that we can be the family and the body of Christ. So remember what he did for us. We remember what he did for us, his body and his blood. Number two, we find our lives and our identity in him. He said, take up your cross and follow me. We remember what he did. And, oh, yeah. We're, yeah. I mean, it felt good to say I was a Christian when everybody was raising their hands and singing the songs and I had goosebumps. But take up your cross. We're called to take up our cross, too. We're called to deny ourselves, too. We're called to lay aside our preferences and try to seek out honoring others. We find our identity in him and in who he says we are as his children. Number three, we find our fellowship with one another. Because the table of the Lord, when, when we partake in this communion... We're partaking of his body and blood. And in some kind of mystical way, it connects that we are his body. We are his hands and feet. So this is how we, we, we practice the table of the Lord in this season that we're in by responding to the invitation. That's how we participate in the table of the Lord. And now we have the application of the table of the Lord. You know, if, if John 3.16 is the most well-known verse in the Bible, Psalm 23 is probably a close second. Wouldn't you think? If you turn to Psalm 23, a lot of you could probably say this by heart, huh? I remember it from a from being a kid, learned it as a kid. Thanks, mom and pop. Shout out over there. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And let's stop right there. Let's do Thomas Jefferson and cut the rest out. Because this part sounds really nice. Green pastures. I mean, how many of you have a green lawn right now? If you do, it's because it's weeds. It's not because it's grass. I hate to tell you. <laughs> Give a landscaper the microphone, you know. It, green pastures. Still waters. Peace. Provision. He restores. He leads us. We, we forget, we feel like we have to figure out this righteousness thing. He leads you into a path of righteousness. But it does keep going. It says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's a lot of imagery there. But don't skip the word though. Because it's not if I walk through the valley. It's though I walk through the valley. It's especially when I walk through the valley. 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Lord, why don't you prepare me an Uber over the mountain and set the table over there, away from my enemies, right? In the presence of your enemies, with them all around, in the middle of the valley of the shadow, he says, come have a seat. Let's break some bread. Let's talk about it. You can, you can be at peace. You can rest. You don't have to fix it. How many fixers are in the house today? You don't have to fix it. You don't have to control it. It doesn't, it doesn't have to look Christian. It might look a little messy. It might look a little unconventional. Well, God wouldn't do that, said Job's friends, right? Lauren and I, as I'm sure most of you could probably relate, you know, lately we've been working together. She, she works at the office now. Sometimes, at the end of the day, we're like so overstimulated, so much information, so many problems we dealt with, and sometimes Grace is playing tennis, and so we'll go straight from work and we'll go eat dinner and then go pick up Grace after tennis and go watch her for a little while. And man, we just sit and try to like unravel unpack, decompress. We'll, we'll talk about all the work stuff. Okay, let's get it all out. And then, and, and we're just able to spend a little time together, you know, um, unload, but comfort and nourish one another and, and enjoy one another, connect, talk. And that's what God invites you to in the presence of your enemies, not away from your enemies in the presence of your enemies. But how can I rest? How can I do nothing? You're telling me not to fix it, but I know how to fix it. I know what's happening right there, and I can, I've got multiple options. I've got some creative ways I can deal with each one of these and make it better. Y'all ever had God tell you, no, just let it be? You can rest even though there's turmoil, even though there's, there's, there's chaos, even though, even though there's failure. And you, it might, your enemy or your valley of the shadow may be that you've failed recently, that you've blown it, that you messed up. Sometimes just walking in the humiliation of that is where God allows us to, to be. It's part of, that, part of that process of repentance and restoration. It's just kind of, you can't go fix it, can't go hide it, or you're not going to get anywhere. You can rest and relax 
in Louis Giglio's book, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table, he points out that the reason why you can rest, the reason why you can relax is because the best part of this table is not the fried catfish with etouffee on top. It's not the gumbo or the boudin. It's not boudin, it's boudin. It's the host. It's the one who's invited you to the table. It's the one who's seated at the head of the table. That's what makes the table what it is. And it's, an it's a table that he's invited us to. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. You know, you might be able to fix the external circumstances right now. You might have some solutions. You might know how to take charge and put things the way they need to be. But at some point, you'll be in a situation where you can't. At some point, even if you're really crafty and creative, even if you have a lot of, even if you're a go-getter and you have a lot of drive, even if you're super intelligent, even if you have a lot of money, all the money in the world can't take cancer away. Can't give you a spouse back that passes on. Can't make your wayward child come back home. Can't take away the fact that you just blew it and said that to their face. There's going to be situations where you cannot, you have no say-so over the external circumstances. But you have some say-so over how you respond to them. You have some say-so over what's going on inside. And whenever we, we rest and allow the Lord to fight the battles... things go a little bit better. So, creation, fall, restoration. Kind of here in the middle. We've got, we've, got, we've got a taste. We've seen. We've got hope. I mean, look, y'all have enough hope inside of you to keep coming in here and listening to me sing twice a week Week after week after week after week after week, God's done something in your life. We see in part, and we look ahead, we know that the fullness is coming, but right now there's an invitation. So where, where are you at? Are you at, the, are you at the door? You hear him knocking, and you're thinking about dipping your toe in the water? Or maybe you just did. Maybe you just responded. If that's where you're at, God's, God's saying, come let me fight those battles. Just come sit at my table. It's so much better to sit down and break some bread than it is to try and fight everything going on around you.
Or maybe you've done that and you could say, you know, I've done that. I've responded. I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. You want to come on up, Juan? Thank you. Maybe you'd say, uh, I've done that. I've responded. But then there's the table of participation. God's called you to walk with his people. God's called you to bear one another's burdens. That means somebody who's got this heavy load, you come alongside and you help put it on your shoulder too to make it a little easier. Book of James says, confess to one another that you might be healed. Oh, I don't know about confessing to another man, to another person. I mean, that's not scriptural. That verse is in the Bible. Confess that you may be healed. Now, what it means and the implications we could talk about, but I believe that it lends to there is some, there is some, some restoration that happens whenever we confess, whenever we repent, whenever we... And yes, it, it's between you and God, Probably 99% of the time, the next step of that is between you and another person. So are you, are you, number one, are you coming? Are you making an effort to participate in the life of the body of Christ that God's called you to? Number two, maybe you're coming. Are you allowing others to come? Or are you, I mean, hey, how you doing? How was your week? Yeah, good, great. That's, that's not church. That's, that's part of it. It's good. Say hi. Get to know one another. It takes probably a few Sundays of, of, hey, how was your week? Good. You? It takes a few Sundays of that before you maybe make some time to get into a little bit more stuff, you know? It takes pushing past Sunday, really, Right? I mean, look, these, these, these growth groups that happen, uh, I'm sorry, the connect classes that happen Sunday mornings. Look, there's sometimes people hanging out in here, not in connect class. And I'm like, man, they should go to connect class. It's so good. We're breaking apart the word. But sometimes maybe you just need to talk. Maybe you just need to, maybe somebody just needs to, somebody to bear that burden with them. That's Okay. But it's not all going to happen in coming and going in and out of the sanctuary to your car on Sunday mornings. And maybe you can say, I'm walking with the body of Christ. I'm walking with the Lord. I spend time with the Lord. I have a healthy relationship. What does it look like when you're in the valley of the shadow and surrounded by your enemies? Because there's peace there too. So where are you at this morning? His invitation stands. And even if you're not in one of these three places that I just mentioned, wherever you are, 
there's an invitation for more. There's an invitation to go deeper. So, if the uh, altar team wants to come up, now I have people ask me, why do you, why do you keep singing that song so long? Why do you keep saying that part over and over again? Hoyt says, I'm one of them. I'm and there's a reason. The reason why is because this is sometimes things have to be caught rather than taught. Sometimes just hearing the information, you can hear it. You can hear that, that Christ is inviting me and calling me to walk in a deeper relationship with his church. But if you sit with that for a little bit, and you think about it and you allow God to make you introspective and bring some self-awareness, he might show you some ways that you're not doing that or that you're hindering that, that you don't catch in a moment of just saying a phrase or hearing a phrase. That's why we hang on these songs a little bit. That's why we have this altar time right here. But man, when they start playing the piano and the pastor gets quiet, it's just kind of weird. If that's the way it feels... Just sit at the table in the valley of the shadow and press, just, just rest and listen. Because these words, you know, we come and we say these words week after week after week. We're talking to you week after week after week. In the beginning was the word. The, he, his let there be light. It was the, the physical manifestation of God, which is Jesus Christ, manifested into humanity, manifested into creation. The, there's, there's, the word is the way that we have to relate and to understand to this thing that we can't understand, which is who God is. So like, just rest in, just think about it. Like, where are you this morning? Is he inviting you to walk through that door? Is he inviting you to open up your life a little bit and walk a little bit closer with this church? Is he inviting you to rest despite what's going on around you? And if any of those relate to you this morning, if you want to come on up and let somebody pray for you, we're not going to put the gree-gree on you. We're not going to put the mojo on you. We're just going to encourage you and pray for you. Maybe there's some experience. Somebody in this room has been where you're at and they can just encourage you. So we're just going to take some time and just think about what everything I've been talking about and allow the Lord to, to show you how to search your heart. If any of it relates to you, I encourage you to come up, let somebody pray for you. We'll just hang for a few minutes and then we'll continue with our service.